Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, horrible 1970s ethnic stereotype. (laughs) All right. Oh, we got to love the horrible uh, ethnic stereotypes from the 1970s, because in this season, we are talking about the 1970s. We're talking about the films of 1977. And this episode features the pick from our awesome producer, David Rosen, the ethnic stereotype filled (laughs) Kentucky Fried movie. Thank you, Dave for picking this movie. (laughs) Let me just say, uh, as we know, we got a lot of requests for this one throughout the various uh, posts and stuff about this season. So I'm not alone in my pick for this. And let let me just say, already hearing the sense of misery in Josh's voice is, has made this whole thing worth it, Dave. So I'm with you. Yeah. You guys at home should see his face. He is uh, just oh. uh, no. We've we've had worse. Um, but you're 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 right that we had quite a lot. I was surprised at how many people when we announced that we were going to be covering 1977 in this season and ask what people are interested in hearing about. I think this was the most mentioned movie of 1977 that people were hoping that we would discuss. Yeah, so, I mean, that makes Dave, sense. There weren't any big hits then. Yeah, Dave, Saturday Dave Night Fever didn't come in. out. I mean, I was as, as surprised as you guys, even though I picked it ahead of time. <laughs> I, I did not expect that many people to be in on it. But I guess this is, you know, one of those kind of quintessential cult things. It is, but it was a huge hit. It wasn't just a cult movie. I mean, it was a That's it was an independent film that was kind of cobbled together initially by the filmmakers, by the uh, Zaz team, brothers mm-hmm. Jerry Zucker and David Zucker and Jim Abrahams, who of course went on to make a lot of really big, iconic parody movies. And this was their beginning. And it was them along with director John Landis, who they recruited on the strength of his first film. Um, and they teamed up and kind of threw together this budget of only $650,000 to make this movie. And it ended up grossing $7.1 on that small budget. So that's a huge success, certainly, even at the time. And it was rejected by like every studio that there was. They had investors pulling out all the time. You know, they basically financed the proof of concept themselves. So they really just went for it here. Yeah, I mean, this is clearly a labor of love, and the the Zaz team had been performing on stage together as the Kentucky Fried Theater. So, I mean, this is sort of the equivalent of something we see now, where we have a comedy troupe who maybe does online videos or maybe has their own sketch show on cable or something, and now they've decided to graduate into making a movie. And this is one of the earlier examples. I would say this, along with maybe Monty Python movies, are, are some of the earliest examples of that kind of phenomenon. Well, a um, you know Dave's 2007 pick was The Ten, which mm-hmm. was The State. So uh, I think we're learning a little about Dave's taste in movies here, Josh. We we are really getting a good <laughs> idea of Dave's uh, sense of humor via these picks that and, he's and offered us. If I may <laughs> offer one more thing, Josh, a film from 1974. The Groove Tube with Chevy Chase, Richard Belzer, and uh, uh, the third name is escaping me, Dave. If you'll look it up, please. Um, that that and Kentucky Fried are known as kind of maybe the earliest of these spoof films like this. Yeah, and the Groove Tube is something that came up in multiple uh, reviews of this movie. Critics were mixed, um, which is not surprising. I mean, any any movie like this that's kind of a broad, vulgar comedy tends to not get great response from critics. Some some did like it, but... Uh, I think that might be the surprise, that some critics liked it. Right, exactly. And right. I think I, I, I ended up, uh, of what of what reviews I could, could uh, locate, I ended up getting more positive than negative, but uh, there were definitely uh, plenty of critics who were not fans. And we can start with one of those. Uh, Lawrence Van Gelder in the New York Times said... Anyone interested in the condition of humor and wit in the United States stands likely to come away depressed from the Kentucky Fried movie. 
The first film of the Kentucky Fried Theater, a comedy group that traces its origins to the University of Wisconsin six years ago, the Kentucky Fried movie is in the tradition of the groove tube and tunnel vision. The range of its satire and comedy, as displayed in 22 segments running from a minute or two up to 30 minutes, is fairly narrow. Television is at once the movie's nourishment and onus. The caliber of television wit and humor has never been uniformly high, and comedy derived from it is likely to have difficulty surmounting such humble origins. It is little wonder, then, that the Kentucky Fried movie, being freed from the restraints of television, though not from its inherent defects, occasionally descends into juvenile tastelessness. Lots of people will probably like the Kentucky Fried movie, just as they like Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's hamburgers, but popularity is still no reason for deifying mediocrity. Ooh. And I like here the like utter contempt for television, which I yeah. think is a fairly common thing with movie critics in the 70s and 80s and maybe even into the 90s when television is considered sort of the opposite of what it is now. It's this sort of uh, redheaded stepchild compared to the seriousness of the movies. But... Clearly, I'm a fan of the movie and of that review. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot in that. I, I I I pulled a lot from it because it was it was certainly he uh, he definitely uh, really tore into it. That that's what I took from the review too. Uh, how just like oh oh you're mocking the lowest form of entertainment there is television. Papa with you, you know. I thought right. that was amusing. Also, I haven't had a McDonald's hamburger since college. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not really missing much. I, no, I don't I, think I, I am. I do have them from time, time to time, but only sort of out of desperation. And you know, yeah. my taste in, in uh, food, not nearly as highbrow as my taste in film. So. No, no. If you're telling me it's not, not worth anything, then it must really not be worth anything. Yeah. Um, so Variety uh, in a, a staff unbylined review uh, was a little more positive, but still mixed. They said, the Kentucky Fried movie boasts excellent production values and some genuine wit, though a few of the sketches are tasteless. Some of the appeal of this kind of material is purely juvenile. The dubious kick of hearing TV performers use foul language and seeing them perform off-color activities. But there is also a more substantial undertone in using satire of TV and films as a means of satirizing American cultural values. Uh, I think that might be a bit of a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and I don't think that's necessarily like a knock on the movie. I don't think that it's aiming to be some kind of uh, sophisticated satire of any kind. It's just, it is juvenile. And I think the makers of it would be the first to admit that it's juvenile and that's what they're going for. Yeah. But I mean, at least they go all in on that, right? Yeah. That, that they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Polly Warfield in the Los Angeles Free Press was quite positive. She said, the movie is more of the same Kentucky Fried Theater, a slightly less insane mad magazine on film, lampooning the ludicrous, pricking the pompous, and knocking the stuffing out of stuffed shirts. In short, good satire, as well as off-the-wall humor that sometimes ascends to off the ceiling. The collection of skits of varied length and subjects all spoof some aspect of contemporary society and help reduce the ever-present danger of taking ourselves and everything else too deadly seriously. It leans heavily on the pseudo-folksy, phony, family-next-door aspects of TV commercials, and Lord knows they ask for it. It's straight-faced takeoffs on the vagaries and vicissitudes of television, and the persona of its inhabitants are devastating. So I find it interesting that both the positive and the negative reviews of this movie hold television in contempt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, you know, the idea that either this movie is bad because it's too influenced by television or it's good because it's it's sort of uh, satirizing the piss television. out of television. Yeah, taking the yeah. piss out of television. Uh, either way, no one, no one in the critical establishment of 1977 has any respect for television. Sons of bitches, Josh. 
<laughs> we were born in the wrong time, Josh. Yeah, I guess. No, I mean, I think- We love television, Dave. Yeah, we love television. And I think this is certainly an evolution in, in critical thought over time. And that television now is so prestigious, is almost too prestigious, I would argue, in a lot right. of ways. But I remember when I was starting to review television, even in the early 2000s, that there was still a lot of kind of contempt for it or a sense that it was sort of this second tier art form. And that, you know, as a critic- you would struggle to defend the artistic value of certain TV shows, um, which maybe now in retrospect have come to be acknowledged as artistically valuable, but at the time were still dismissed as, quote, just television. Well, Josh, as one might expect, a discussion about the Kentucky Fried movie has to lead into the golden age of television the boom <laughs> we're having and the quality of the art that once was versus the quality of the art that is now versus film which has now been co-opted and kind of cannibalized by mainstream corporations. Therefore, in a way, having reversed itself from television, where are all the artors, the artists, the voices? They've gone to television and streaming platforms, whereas film now is just one McDonald's hamburger after the next. In a way, that's true. I mean, it's, it's certainly more complex than that, but in a large part, that is kind of the case. But it was certainly not in the 1970s. And I mean, in a lot of the television that they're making fun of or satirizing here isn't even the kind of television that we're talking about with prestige television. It's not scripted dramas and comedies. It's it's local news broadcasts and commercials and things like that that are still largely uh, not high art. Uh, of course, the longest segment of this film is spoofing a film, but they yes. seem to all forget that. So Right. And that's the thing is that, I mean, and I think that 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 LA Free Press article mentions it a little, is that it, it does make fun of both TV and film um, in, in what seems to me to be a fairly equal measure. But the TV stuff, I guess, is what made more of an impression. So, uh, Jason, had you ever seen this before uh, we prepared this podcast? Josh, any any teenager worth his pubescent salt has seen this on home video at some <laughs> point in time. So I had, uh, I'm sure I rented it probably as a 16 year old or something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. One thing we can mention is, uh, there, there's a lot of naked breasts in this movie that yeah, I get the impression that if they were insecure about being able to make teenage boys laugh, they could just throw some boobs in there. Uh, you know, again, Josh, as as someone who grew up on television in the 80s and 90s and the perhaps the golden age of softcore and Skinamax, I'm going to say there was an average amount of breasts, not a lot. <laughs> OK, <Ooh>. well, <laughs> controversial on yeah. Jason's scale of <laughs> breast amount, amount. <laughs> in a in a in an exploitation film, I guess. So I had never seen this before, though. I did not rent Ooh. it as a teenager. I mean, and, and it's funny because I loved these other Zazz movies as a teenager. I loved the Naked Gun movies. I loved the Airplane movies. So I'm not sure why I never made my way to this one, but I never did. Did you know it or was it like... I mean, I think I was probably aware of its existence. Maybe I didn't realize that they had been involved in it. I think you and I were just talking about it before I watched it. And I think I had... The, I had the wrong impression of, of who had created this movie. So um, it's possible that, yeah, I just didn't realize that it was part of that continuum or whatever. And I was just looking forward to whatever they were going to do next after, you know, the first Naked Gun. And I looked for the Naked Gun sequel, but I never realized that I should look back. So this was my first time seeing it in 2020 at 40 years old. And that is not the <laughs> optimal time to see it. I will have to buy yourself. <laughs> hey Dave, if ever we needed to figure out the purpose for this podcast, we just have. Okay. Yes, that's right. We made Josh as a four-year-old watch Kentucky Fried movie for the first time as an as an adult man. So uh Dave, when did you first see this? Well, I I had an equally uh strange time of watching this for the first time, which was I probably like around 11 or 12 with my parents. Oh, that must uh, be. I was actually going I was actually going to make a joke like did Dave's parents sit him down at an inappropriate yeah. age and make him watch this film. I I mentioned on these previous episodes with Woody Allen and Mel Brooks about, you know, the the whole rite of passage thing. I remember my parents showing me these movies like, you know, to kind of show me what 
more uh, adult quote unquote comedy is, I guess. And uh, yeah, I remember watching these and the groove tube as well. And, you know, just all these like really out there, crazy comedies for my little brain. And there, that's why I am who I am now. Dave, what was the discussion between you and your parents during the Catholic high school girls in trouble <laughs> segment of this film? I, I have a very bad memory of my childhood, so I have no idea. <laughs> blocked that out. Completely. It's all blocked. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like hearing the uh, trauma of this whole thing. <laughs> it's like, you know, Josh in like the late 1800s or mid 1900s where, you know, when a dad would think his boy was becoming a man, he took him to the whorehouse. Not Dave's dad. You're 11. Go watch the Kentucky Fried movie. <laughs> I'll watch it with you. And that's that's how really society has progressed. Time. That's right. Any other background on this movie you want to mention, Jason? Sure, Josh. We like all titles here. Some of the other titles they were thinking about are Free Popcorn and Clothes for Remodeling. I think Free Popcorn's not a bad title there. I like that. And uh, Dave Letterman auditioned for the role of the newscaster, but did not get it. That's a shame. I would have uh, appreciated it. <laughs> Go David. see Marvin's room, right, Josh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> would have appreciated it. Hey, Paula. Hey, uh, no, I got nothing. Nope. No, no, no Dave Letterman impression. That's okay. Where is it? I can pull it out. So, hey, uh, you like the uh, Kentucky Fried movie there? (laughs) Yeah, Dave. Kentucky Fried movie. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. (laughs) Really, really worth it there. So, uh, on that note, let's uh, take a break and come back and talk our general thoughts on the Kentucky Fried movie. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1977, we've been talking about our producer David Rosen's personal pick for the year, the Kentucky Fried Movie. Dave, what were you thinking? (laughs) Well, let me just say, I hadn't seen this since uh, college, and I, I do think that this is definitely the kind of movie that that works best with a bunch of beers and a bunch of friends and just a totally ridiculous kind of a time. I did not remember pretty much any of it except for the Danger Seeker sketch. That was pretty much the only thing that like kind of stuck in my memory. And I will say, though, that I, I'm sure I liked it more than you. I'm not sure exactly where uh, Jason comes in on this one. But yeah, no, I I just, I know that this is, you know, kind of like I was saying, like a kind of a cult thing, even though, like you said, it did much better than I would expect in in the box office, but uh, it's like a cult thing. And I had a feeling it would be a fun one to talk about. Yeah. You know, I, I, it is a cult thing, but I can see why it was such a hit, man. You know, it was something different. Um, As we said, one of the uh, birthers of the spoof genre. Um, they put in sure. explosions and violence and nudity and uh, some funny stuff in there. So, you know, you're in the middle of the 70s, you're a teenager, you want to go out, you want to do something. Why wouldn't you go see this? Yeah, I can absolutely see why this was a hit. And I think there's a long history of these kinds of movies becoming huge hits. Um, and just as well as I can see why maybe critics weren't super into it, although it has sure. had an enduring cult following. So, so Dave, would you say it held up for you? I would say pretty much so because I, it, you know, it's not something I kept revisiting. It wasn't like a favorite of mine or anything like that. And it's still not a favorite of mine, but it's very hit or miss, you know, between the different sketches and, and segments, but Uh, it's, I laughed a bunch of times. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think this is, uh, our second film of 1977 that we're talking about. That's a spoof, you know, with high anxiety. And then we mentioned the 10, which is a different type of spoof, but does some spoofing of, uh, media, um, reality shows. Also sketches kind of. Yeah. So I, I, I would think like I told Josh, like, when we were planning out, if you were like, hey, within the first five seasons, you're going to have three spoof movies. I would think that's a high ratio, like because the genre yeah. is so dead today, you know, that it's interesting that the when you look back at how big these movies were. Yeah. And I think this is a good contrast with high anxiety, because as we talked about in that episode, Mel Brooks was a huge, successful comedy icon at that point, And high anxiety is very sophisticated filmmaking. 
And mm -hmm. you can look at that versus this, which is made by these three guys who were a, a comedy troupe from the University of Wisconsin. And whether you like this movie or not, I don't think I would call it sophisticated filmmaking. I mean, obviously it had sure. budget limitations, but even the way they they kind of recreate things, whether they're recreating a newscast or a TV commercial or whatever, it's all pretty rudimentary, I think. And there's not a lot of technical... I mean, John Landis is a talented director, and this was early in his career, and he certainly went on to make big movies, and it was probably smart of them to, to hire an outside person to come in and direct this movie rather than trying to do it themselves right off the bat. Um, but even just the way it's put together, I feel like the pacing of this movie is terrible. I mean, yes, it's a bunch mm -hmm. of sketches, but they're not really put together in any way that feeds from one into the other. I mean, one thing about the 10 and whether we liked it or not, it does build, it has callbacks and it has elements that kind of recur. And there's almost none of that in this movie. And in fact, to the point where when you watch the credits and it has the cast quote in order of appearance, it's the wrong order of appearance because they changed the order of the sketches after they created the end credits. Well, that's, so, yeah, that, that was budgetary though. Um, but either way, I feel like there's very little consideration to how this movie progresses. You know, you could watch individual bits of this movie on YouTube or something in almost any order. I mean, there's maybe one or two things that recur. There's the the big muscular like football guy who's in the sketch about the people having sex, yep. who then shows up later to rescue the people in the martial arts sketch. But and there's the the newscaster that's kind of periodically we revisit throughout the movie. But there's no build or anything to the point where at the end of the last sketch, I was shocked that suddenly the movie was over because there was no conclusion. Well, there were two other callbacks, which was Gemini. You should expect the unexpected and they get True. shot with the arrow. And then also the classic comedy callback of Detroit is a horrible, horrible city. <laughs> yeah, some really sure. sophisticated. That's the satire, the really but, I mean, hey, sharp they went satire to, that we're Josh, talking about here. They went to University of Wisconsin, so you could see how, and they were a huge deal at the University of Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. So you got to take shots at your neighbors there. Yeah, I whatever. I completely agree with what you're saying about the build of the film, so much so that when I revisited this in college, the last time I saw this, I was shocked to learn who was behind the camera and and like that landis was involved and that uh the zuckers were involved with the writing like because i mean the naked guns and all that are so good they're spoofs but they're such great movies you know and so i was actually i thought it was just some weirdo you know kind of fringe thing when i well, had seen it as a kid maybe maybe you got to give a little more credit to what it takes to craft that you know this was their sure. first effort and they obviously got better with Time and um, further projects, just like Dave, your film understanding has gotten better over time. Like when you watch Debbie Does Dallas on your eighth birthday because your parents <laughs> sat you down. So, Dave, we have to watch this I, now that you're eight. The three of us have to watch this together. You probably still didn't have get questions. It. Hopefully we can yeah. cover that one of these. Days but by the time film. you were nine and the three of you watched Deep Throat together, like you had a much, <laughs> much deeper appreciation of the medium, Jay. This is true. So, so true. Um, but no, I mean, I think, Dave, you make a good point is that those later movies that these guys made that they both wrote and directed um, are good movies. I mean, that's it's more like what we were talking about, High Anxiety, where Mel Brooks not only spoofs things, spoofs Hitchcock, but he creates a structure like a Hitchcock movie and, and has a plot and builds to certain things. And I think the Naked Gun movies and the, the airplane or at least the first airplane movie, I don't know. if I don't think they're involved in Airplane 2, actually. I um, think so. Yeah, but the Naked Gun movies and Airplane, they have that. They do have a plot. And I think that's something that's lost in later spoof movies, as we kind of talked about a little with High Anxiety, when you get to like Friedberg and Seltzer, those horrible examples of modern spoofers who mm. just throw random jokes about anything in and they don't understand structure of creating. Who are the, who are they? Who are those people? Uh, the guys who made like meet the Spartans and epic movie and disaster. All the movie movies and... with movie at the end of the title. Oh, yeah. Okay. Although not scary yeah. movie, which involves right, except for that one, the Zuckers, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. at least in its later sequels. So yeah, I think that was one of the things. And you watch the longest segment, you know, the half hour segment in this, in this movie, which is the parody of, of martial arts exploitation. And that's the one part where you feel like they could have that structure and it could be the first, the, the beginnings of the kind of stuff that they would do later. And that segment is horribly paced. It drags like crazy and you can't wait for it to end. That's my least favorite part of the movie. And also when Me we're too. talking about horrible ethnic stereotypes of the 70s, 
some glaring examples there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could argue that the stereotypes in that are a parody of stereotypes in actual martial arts exploitation movies. I, I think that's fair if you argue that, but then I would argue you don't have to do that joke 71 times in that in the bit. <laughs> I agree, I agree. And I think there's some clever parodying, you know, as someone who's seen a lot of low budget exploitation, the way that that starts with like the on-screen title that says Hong Kong over the shot that's very clearly New York. New York City, that's funny. That is, yeah. Or when when the bad guy decapitates the prisoner and then says, now go take him and torture him. <laughs> like that's hilarious. <laughs> but overall, it's just too much. Yeah, yeah I mean, there yeah. were there were a couple moments and I think that that at the beginning and then also the bit where they're walking through the jungle and they're obviously looking at stock footage that starts with like a giraffe and then it's an elephant and then it's a dinosaur. To me, that was a little more sophisticated where they're not just making dumb one-liner jokes or whatever, but they actually understand sort of the art form that they're parodying, but there's very little of that here. Yeah, but I mean, on one of the other sketches when you're talking about like dumb one-liners, like show me your nuts and then the guy does like that crazy stuff, that's become, you know, a very, very well-known joke. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I think um, the longer stuff is the stuff that doesn't work as well. The shorter stuff, which is the stuff that would play well to today's audience, like online and YouTube and stuff and TikTok, baby. Kind of oh, love yeah. the TikTok. Why aren't um, the Zuckers on TikTok? Why aren't we on TikTok, Josh? That's the question. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, the shorter stuff is the stuff that works the best here for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't say that I like much of it, but it is certainly better than the longer stuff. I thought some of the good stuff was Scott Free, the uh, board game about the conspiracy to kill JFK and how everyone got off, especially with the world we're living in today, where apparently everyone's an expert sleuth, you know, on all, <laughs> right. all these cases right now. Um, I like that. Uh, I thought Cleopatra Schwartz, you know, if you're going to go for a movie parody, the idea of uh, black exploitation film with an Orthodox uh, Hasidic Jewish kind of funny, you know? So uh, those were two things I liked. And um, I thought I, I appreciated the United appeal for the dead because they had a dead kid in there. And I think that's really tough to pull off in comedy, you know, and not something that many people would go for now. And then lastly, I, uh, I liked point counter and uh, any Donald Sutherland cameo is one that I'll take. I, I wanted to try to guess the one Josh might have liked based okay. on what I know of his sense of humor, but maybe I'm completely off, but the zinc oxide commercial. Yeah, that was, I mean, I wouldn't say that I liked any of the sketches in here, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, there were some that I kind of appreciated that that is, I mean, that's, that's funny because it starts out, you know, it's the escalation of it where it starts yeah. out sort of seeming close to the real version of something like that. And then it gets more and more absurd. I mean, I'm with Jason in that, United Appeal for the Dead. I don't know that I laughed, but once they showed the the really horrifying looking child corpse, I was like, okay, <laughs> I can respect this sketch for just going all out. And I appreciated sure. that one, uh, even though maybe I didn't actually laugh at it. But um, what's your favorite, Davey, Dave? Uh, I, I love that one that I just mentioned. I also, the feel around movie theater segment was great. Uh, that just so ridiculous and such a simple premise, but I thought it was done pretty well. Uh, but I, I, there, there's a few others that, that really hit for me, but you know, some of the ones that you had just mentioned, but you know, like I said, it, it is very hit or miss though, as far as the ones that are actually good the TV, the, the reporter guy is great too. Most of the time. So yeah, I mean, those are some of my favorites. Okay. Thanks Dave. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't know what else. I mean, it's, I feel like it's difficult to get into like a deeper analysis of this movie, although I'm sure it's, it's possible. a sketch thing. It's a sketch. I mean, it's obviously it's a reflection of the 1970s. It's a reflection of popular culture at the time. It's a reflection of what was considered acceptable and not acceptable. Of course, the, the danger seeker sketch, Dave, that you mentioned is the one that you was the only one that you remembered from your childhood. Certainly. Yeah. It's not something we would do right now, um, no. where the the whole gag is uh, yelling a racial slur. Yeah, but did anyone when and that's and the it's a basically a white guy. He's a daredevil because he yells the n word in front of a bunch of black people. That's the joke. And right. and again, 
Yeah, I mean, you watch it today and you cringe at that, right? But did you think about Die Hard with a Vengeance when you saw that? Because that's exactly yes. what I thought about where they send John McClane into a black neighborhood and make him wear a sign that says, you know, I love N-words, which is, you know, a very direct takeoff of this and still horribly cringeworthy. Yeah, I haven't seen Die Hard with a Vengeance in a long time, and I didn't remember that scene. So uh, Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, another thing, I don't know, I'm not saying this is a good or a bad thing, but if you type in Kentucky Fried Movie on YouTube and it starts the autocomplete, the first thing is Kentucky Fried Movie, the N-word scene. That, I mean, I think there's there's a certain desire on the part of people to see something transgressive, and yeah. that's not surprising to me. Just as we wouldn't put it in a, a current movie, maybe that's why people will look for it or want to see it because they wouldn't see it now. You know, no, no sketch comedy would do something like that right now um, exactly. without risking a huge backlash. So, but again, it's just, it's also just a very easy, obvious joke. You know, it's not satirizing anything. It's not commenting on anything. You know, black people don't appreciate being called a racial slur is not exactly. No, a, that's not. That's not the attempt of the joke, though, Josh. I agree with what you're saying, but the attempt of the joke is like, hey, if you're going to be a daredevil, instead of riding your bike over a canyon, do something really risky, go into a group of, you know, whatever ethnicity and yell the worst thing you can at them and then see what happens to you. Yeah. I mean, you did just explain. The joke Sketch. to you. Yes. Yeah. But you, <laughs> Explaining I thought, jokes always makes them. But better. I'm saying I think you ha- you interpreted it incorrectly. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I still don't think it's it's not exactly it's not exactly sophisticated. Whereas I mean, some of these not not that we would call any of them sophisticated, but they they at least build some kind of idea, or you can tell that they're riffing on something familiar. You know, even if it's just like the headache medicine commercial with Bill Bixby or something like that, you know what exactly that's kind of twisting. I, I thought the last sketch where the man and the woman hook up and, you know, um, the newscasters are, you know, and crew are watching him hook up and get more into it the further they get. Like, that definitely had some stuff that I think you saw taken to the next level in the 80s with, like, Revenge of the Nerd-style frat comedies and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So, um I, I uh, look, it is what it is, man. It's it, It's aged in some ways not well. It's aged in other ways, obviously, influentially. And um, as you said, like, we got more requests to cover this than any other movie of 1977, which has Close Encounters and Star Wars and a bunch of stuff like that. Right. Well, I mean, to be fair, people probably assumed that we would cover Star Wars and they were right. But I I mean, I think this is the kind of movie and this came out uh, a little before we were born, but I could see this as the kind of movie where if you were a teenager in 1977, and saw this at that time, you would have a lot of nostalgia for this movie. Dude, I totally, I could, I, if I was a teenager and this was out, I'm 100% sure I would have been like, I got to go see this thing in the theaters. Yeah, right. So I can see people having that, maybe even like Dave or whatever, they hadn't seen it in a, you know, since they were since their childhood, but they have these memories of it and they would feel nostalgic and they would want to revisit yeah. it. Um, one thing I noticed or... I don't know, noticed or was sort of surprised by that. Other than the occasional celebrity cameos, there aren't any actors in this movie really that became big comedy people. I mean, the Zaz team uh, also appear in the movie, uh, which is not something that they really went on to do. But are there any performances here, Jason, that you thought stood out? Nope. Okay. No. All right. I, I agree. Are there, are there just, for you? Thought, no, no, no. There really are. I mean, I mean that was. That was sort of one of the things I noticed in a way that the, that the performances weren't noticeable, that it wasn't like, oh, look, there's Carol Kane or, you know, someone, uh, Madeline Kahn or somebody who would be a big comedy star later on. It's a bunch of people I didn't recognize. And then Bill Bixby. Do you think that's, bu- <laughs> do you think that's part budget as well? Yeah, maybe they spent all the money on getting Bill Bixby and Donald Sutherland and George Lazenby to show up for two seconds each. Uh, it's entirely possible. So I don't know, Dave, is there any performance in this that makes you laugh the most? There's the one kid who has to sing happy birthday to himself to remember his name. Uh, that was good. <laughs> yeah, I think that actually, I think that might actually be one of the Zuckers who plays, who plays. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, all right. So uh, should we rate this out of, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 Three offensive stereotypes. Offensive stereotypes. No, I was, I was going to say, uh, of breasts pushing against a shower uh, 
window, I guess, is what, yeah, what, is that what you would call it? Yeah, I thought about that? mentioning naked breasts of some kind, but that's, yeah. you know. I think, just, I mean, that's as iconic a shot as there is in that movie, right? So, mm-hmm. breasts kissing at the shower. What is that, what is that called? Because it's not a curtain. The shower. It's a shower door? Yeah, fine, we'll go with that, so. So, I don't know uh, what else you would call it. So are we going pairs of breasts against the shower door? Because single I mean, breasts is weird. So I'm going to go out pairs of breasts. I'm going to give it, okay. and it's going to be weird anyway, because I'm going to give it two and a half pairs of breasts, which is five breasts. So you're still getting an odd number of breasts here, which is strange, Josh. But uh, I mean, I didn't love it. There was enough funny stuff in there to keep me interested and, you know, highly influential. So you get two and a half pairs of breasts against the shower door from old JH over here. All right. Well, I'm going to give it a two out of five. I didn't necessarily hate it. That's higher than I expected from you. Yeah, I mean, and it is, as Jason points out, it's influential and you can see kind of where it, 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 uh, you know, where it influenced comedy to come. And I laughed maybe once or twice. Uh, so, hey, that's more than I might have laughed at some of other, Dave's other picks. So <laughs> two out of five for me. Dave, what do you want to rate it? I'm going with a three. Uh, yeah, it, it's right. it's it's not great or anything, but I I had a few good laughs in it, and it's you know hit or miss. That it is. So we'll come back then in a moment and talk about the legacy of the Kentucky Fried movie. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1977. We've been talking about our producer, David Rosen's pick, the Kentucky Fried movie. And as far as the legacy of this movie goes, obviously this was the launch pad for the very successful spoof career of the team of Jerry and David Zucker and Jim Abrahams, who went on to create Airplane and the Police Squad TV series, which then spawned the Naked Gun movie series, uh, as well as Top Secret. And I, as I said, for me, I know I, I remember as a kid being really into, especially the Naked Gun and Police Squad and Airplane. I think I've actually never seen Top Secret, though. I didn't love Top Secret as much. But. No, I've actually that's one that slipped through me, too. I was, uh, you know, that's in my Val Kilmer blind spot, apparently. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But were you were you a fan of those? other? Yeah. Films? Yeah. I loved uh, Airplane and Naked Gun. I've never seen like Ruthless People, some of the kind of more straightforward stuff they've done, too. So which are, you know, dark comedies. But I'd like to see that stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, they they then after those early parodies, they kind of split up and worked on things individually. And it was interesting to me to see that on an individual level, they all kind of made these efforts to do more, quote, serious things. I mean, the most successful of that being Ghost, which Jerry Zucker directed, which, of course, was a major Oscar nominated film. And then, weirdly enough, Ghost spawned its own parodies. I mean, there are scenes in Ghost, especially like yeah, that pottery the, scene that have been parodied a million times. And Naked Gun too. Yeah, Josh, also, I mean, I was looking at what they each directed. Jim Abrahams did the, the Hot Shots movies, you know, so. Yes. And then David Zucker, ba- Basketball, I thought, kind of also, in a way, That's fits right. into this kind of audience uh, genre. Yeah, and then David Zucker also returned to the spoof territory with the later scary movie, uh, movies. Those were launched by the Wayans brothers and then yeah. they kind of left the franchise and David Zucker took over. Uh, and Jim Abrahams also went back to spoofing with a movie called Jane Austen's Mafia, which I never saw and uh, is not exactly uh, a notable. No, thing. I think when you think of the spoof people, you think of Zaz, you think of the Wayans brothers, you think of now you think of the uh, the state guys. Am I missing anyone else there? Well, I mean, sadly, you think of Friedberg and Seltzer, who are sort of like the the bottom of the barrel. I, I, that, I, I don't. I a, don't think of them. They made a ton <laughs> of movies. Um, yeah. David Zucker, I guess we should mention, uh, also became quite a political conservative in his later years, and he returned to spoofing with the 2008 movie An American Carol, which was a uh, spoofing Michael Moore. And I've never seen what a that, but bummer. I hope. Yeah. I see that. yeah. <laughs> there you go, Dave. That's your guy. Um, <laughs> What about, uh, does, am I mistaken? Didn't Yui Bowl do a German fried movie that was kind of a thing? Uh, it's possible. I'm not familiar with that, but that absolutely sounds like something terrible that Yui Bowl would do. And uh, I'm not familiar with that. Um, I did want to mention also just randomly, Jim Abrahams, one of the later things he did was a TV movie called First Do No Harm, starring Meryl Streep. 
that was all about um, the keto diet, which I know Dave is a big fan of. How about that? Uh, uh, One thing I read was this was the first movie to involve spoof movie trailers. So that's obviously a huge kind of thing today and YouTube and this and that. That's a good point. Also, another movie that we kind of left out that we covered on Awesome Movie Year, UHF. Which yeah. I feel like some of these segments feel like they could have, you know, fit in that kind of an I, you know, that kind of a way of putting things together, that putting together that kind of a TV spoofs right. and things like that. Now, now that we've covered that, let me get to an important point. Josh is of the opinion that John Landis is not a major figure as a director, Dave. And where do you stand on that? That's uh, that's yeah, that's a weird statement. I got to say, I mean, what, what I mean is not that he didn't make a lot of big, successful movies, but I don't think we think of him as an important director in the same way that we think of George Lucas or Woody Allen or Martin Scorsese or some of the big major filmmakers that no, we talked about this I, season. I, and I have to disagree. And I think maybe he's not getting his due now, but I think he was a complete brand of comedy that maybe that frat house, you know, uh, style of comedy, which was, of course, Animal House. And then he did the Blues Brothers trading places into the night, which lended itself to an entire movie genre, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, which has gained an audience now coming to America. And uh, after that, it went downhill. But that's a pretty good run there, Josh. And of course, and, and he made Thriller in the middle right, of all Right, right. Yeah. And the Thriller yeah, video. I mean, and an American that- Werewolf in London. So come on, man. Yeah, I'm not saying that he wasn't successful. I'm saying that if you think of artistic achievement or vision or things like that, he's not on the level of some of these other people that we've talked about this season. I'm just saying he's a major figure as a comic director. Okay. He was probably like the go-to comic director in the 80s. Yeah, he was, but I feel like he's the equivalent of, and I can't think of who right now, but there are plenty of people right now who have directed a bunch of blockbuster comedies that we wouldn't think of as important directors, even though they've made tons of money for studios by directing these big budget comedies. Yeah, but I'm t- but I'm disagreeing with that. I think he isn't. Yeah. Director. Well, I mean, maybe I just haven't seen enough of these movies or or didn't like them enough. Uh, I mean, of these major ones, uh, I still have actually never seen the Blues Brothers. Um, ah! I know well, that's I, a, that but, was a but, primal but, visceral scream, Josh. But here you can scream again. I have seen Blues Brothers 2000, <laughs> so, uh, which is a horrible movie. And uh, I mean, I, I remember loving Coming to America when I was a kid. I haven't seen it in a long time. And I think Three Amigos as well. I, I enjoyed. So maybe I need to revisit. I, I saw Animal House. I mean, not. I think at the right formative moment, I saw it later as an adult. And I, it's one of those movies that's a, a classic iconic thing. And I think I remember watching it and thinking, what is the big deal with this movie? No, you got to see it like I did when um, you're five years old and sitting with Dave's parents. No, that's <laughs> right. I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I saw it as a teenager. And I mean, again, that's one of those movies today that would be very questionable in a lot of ways, but that, you know, led to a whole brand of comedy, you know? Sure, sure. That is true. And Animal House. But I think maybe in a way, you know, this movie is influential because of the Zazz team and not as much because of John Landis. Animal House is influential because of National Lampoon and not as much because of John Landis. No, I'm going to disagree there because he's the one who kind of put it together as he put it together. And um, yeah, I'll agree with you on this one, but not on on Animal House because I think that's National Lampoon. That's Landis and that's Belushi. That's that whole squad right there, Josh. Yeah. I mean, and I guess you could argue that one of the things that Landis was good at in a way was was showcasing these talents who were bigger than him, whether that's John Belushi or Eddie Murphy or Chevy Chase or Steve Martin, you know, people who were in these movies that he made in the 80s who are huge comedy icons in a way that John Landis really isn't. Yeah. Hey, has anyone seen, I guess it's considered a sequel, but not really a sequel, which Landis did direct was... Amazon Women on the Moon? I have not, but I know that's another kind of sketch movie right. um, that's and often brought up uh, along with stuff like uh, The Ten or, or UHF. Or I was trying to think of other things. I mean, Monty Python made sketch movies in addition to their uh, full narrative movies, and that I think was sort of a contemporary thing. I, of I've never seen it, but uh, that movie 43, I know, comes up a lot in conversation oh, with this movie. I was yeah. up for 
one of the writing jobs on movie 43 at one point to do the wraparound writing for it wow. and uh, lost out to a guy named Steve Pink who directed Hot Tub Time Machine. Mm. I've never seen movie 43, but notably that has the uh, reputation as uh, one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. So. And I could have been one of the guys who have could have helped <laughs> make one of the, I could have been that bad, Josh. You could have, you could have. It I really could be that bad. So yeah. I believe in you. Um, yeah, no, I know it would be again. Look, someone's got to cut. Is it, I, what I'm wondering is, is the form over now, right? Because we see so many spoofs and so many quick, online styles like um is the form over or is someone maybe on netflix or something is someone going to put out a feature length spoof movie like i think tim robinson's so hilarious but he's so weird like you know could it be him who could it be is someone going to do it or the waynes brothers going to come up with something else i don't know yeah i think i mean we talked a little bit about this with high anxiety like i think you could do a full-length feature spoof movie that would still work right now that would be more like something like High Anxiety or like the Naked Gun movies. I think this kind of movie, which is a compilation of sketches that with the existence of short form online videos and uh, streaming TV series and whatever, like I, I don't see the the purpose of doing a, a feature film that's a collection of sketches. I mean, although I guess they did do it with Movie 43 not that long ago, but that was a massive failure. So. Yeah. I feel like if you if you were a com if you were the the Kentucky Fried Theater right now you wouldn't make a movie like you wouldn't even want to make a movie you would be making videos online you'd be hoping to get a, a series with Netflix or something like that like making a feature film to play in movie theaters would not be something on your radar what uh mm -hmm. what would you what kind of genre would you spoof if it was you Josh uh I don't know I'm trying to think of what I feel like. I mean, this actually doesn't work for a feature film, but I mean, we were talking about television in the first segment. I feel like something ripe for parody right now is super serious prestige television. Yeah, you're you right, know? but it's not a That's feature good. link, but that would do. I mean, it, it, in a way, we've seen that in reverse with Documentary Now, but you're right. Yeah. So. Yeah, Don Documentary Now is brilliant, and that's a good uh, that's a good one to bring up as as sort of a, a we talk about is there comedic sophistication in the spoof genre right now? And documentary now is brilliant in the way yeah. that it, it spoofs its targets. What about you, Dave? What genre would you spoof? I mean, as long as we're in this imaginary world where spoofs <laughs> can actually happen, let's go with a, uh, a giant monster movie with a big budget. How about yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would do holiday movies because I think that's ripe for spoofing and there's so, so much of a proliferation of them. Or I think you could go and do some type of nostalgic, like full on 80s spoof, because we've seen so many homages, like now you could do a spoof, uh, you know, retroactively looking back at it. Yeah, I think those holiday movies, especially with the popularity of like Hallmark and- Yeah, to, there's to, totally right for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I could see, you know, Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig made that parody of Lifetime movies, uh, right. Deadly Adoption, which is almost not a parody, it's so straight faced. Um, but I could see them doing something similar with like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, cool. I just, uh, to get back to John Landis, uh, he, like you said, kind of fell off. The last movie he made was a film in 2010 called Burke and Hare, which I got to see at a film festival, one of these weird kind of fly-by-night film festivals here in Vegas in a casino ballroom somewhere. But John Landis was there and they gave him some kind of lifetime achievement made up award. And he did this very long discussion and Q&A with the audience that was fascinating that I found more entertaining probably than most of his movies. So he's certainly one of these figures that he's worked in Hollywood for so long and with so many of these major uh, stars that he's got a lot of stories about his time in the business. He also directed Black or White, the other iconic Michael Jackson video yeah. so that's kind of yeah. interesting those are pioneering music videos yeah so uh dave this is your pick do you have any final uh thought you want to give us on uh kentucky fried movie i i think we about covered it guys i i you know the only other thing i guess i would say is i'm really glad that we got to do this episode because uh in in preparation for this i i watched this a couple of weeks ago and so just this morning i was like oh, maybe i'll just kind of give myself a refresher see if there's like any interesting uh like you know discussions about it on youtube or a podcast or something like that and the only people talking about this movie are just some of the biggest oddballs on the internet and so i i'm glad that that we're going to contribute this uh you know thoughtful conversation to the there movie. you go we, we should have had dave's parents on as guests first, <laughs> oh yeah
So that is Kentucky Fried Movie. That's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on social media. You can. I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Go for Jason.com, a spoof of a website. But you can go to SpaceJam.com for all of your Space Jam needs. Oh, we're also at AwesomeMovieYear.com. That's pretty good. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram and Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I don't, you know, I don't know why plugging the Space Jam website has become your thing, but I admire your commitment to that bit. Uh, you can find me at joshbellhateseverything.com, at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook, and at SignalBleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You can find Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and on piecingpod.com and follow us on social media at piecingpod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all these movies. Yeah, and I think there were a few people in that group who were among those who were interested in hearing us talk about this movie. So hopefully Dave's they'll minions give us will always And Dave's parents, yeah, maybe they can yes. weigh in. Uh, and of course, please sign up for the By David Rosen Patreon where you can get some great bonus content from us here, as well as piecing it together and all rice, no beans and some great music from David Rosen. And we have all sorts of ridiculous things that we have said we might do if we get more patrons. We've been, we've been holding steady at five patrons. So we're, we're, we're really pulling for six. Listen, And if we, if we get there, we might do something. If we get double the number that we have now, Josh will send you a picture of himself with his breasts pushed against the shower door. <laughs> oh man. Now you're gonna we're gonna go down. Our numbers are gonna reduce on the Patreon. They're gonna lose <laughs> lose subscribers on there. Oh my god. So Jason, what's in our next episode? Josh, as Dave alluded to, we do have a lot of comedies this year, and uh, it's only fitting that our Cult classic is another comedy, though it has good amounts of drama in there, too. Starring comedy superstar Paul Newman, it is Slapshot. So tune in next time for Slapshot. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.